Hey everybody, thanks for watching. And before we play this message, I want to uh, actually respond to people who have come up to me and ask, hey, do you have um, somewhere where I can be trained even more, understand scripture, the story of Jesus, and uh, develop more as a leader? And my answer to that is we do. It's called the Leadership Experience. It's actually existed for more than 20 years here at Church Home. And uh, I'd love for you to consider being a part and joining us. Uh, there's classroom settings and there's also opportunity to grow in leadership roles within the community. And I hope that you'd consider it. So again, before we go right to this message, uh, this is me letting you know there is an opportunity for you to be trained if uh, that's something that you choose to do. We love you, and again, it actually means the world that you take time to watch these messages and sermons, and I hope more than anything that you experience the love and grace of Jesus. Check out this message. Second Corinthians in chapter nine, I'd like to speak to you from the subject, the cheerful giver the cheerful giver. I'm gonna take the next few minutes. The band will join us again towards the end of our gathering. We're gonna sing some more songs and, uh, and then hopefully we'll go about the awesome plans we have after. Big, big plans. <laughs> they say that this is the giving season. I'd like again to talk to you from the subject, the cheerful giver and I suppose um, in my optimism, I am uh, in the room today believing that by the end of the few moments we share studying this book, that not only will you have a desire to be a cheerful giver, but you will be determined to be that kind of man and woman for the rest of your life. Second Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 5 says this, so I thought it necessary, Paul writes now to the church in Corinth, to urge the brothers to go on ahead and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, Paul writes, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, God loves a cheerful Giver. I love that phrase. God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, God has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this verse. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce a lot of people saying thanks to God or thanksgiving to God. Again, the cheerful giver. I actually think you and I are going to be cheerful givers. I think it's part of God's big plan for our life. Would you join me one more time in prayer? God, we dedicate now uh, this passage of scripture to the moments that we share. Help us not just um, hear a talk or a speech, but help us actually to encounter you in a real, genuine way. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for the big win the Seahawks had against the Eagles. I know you hear our prayers. Help the Rams lose to the Eagles and help us beat the Jaguars. Amen. Amen. I think I was 10 or 11, uh, my mom could be able to tell you more accurately, but we were living in Portland, Oregon, and mom decided on this particular Christmas, in fact, it might have been every Christmas we did this, I can't remember, she decided to give my older sister Wendy and me, her only two um, children, uh, money to buy gifts for her and dad. She said, I'm going to give you money, but I want you to go pick out gifts for mom and dad. This might have been the first time you had, you had done this for us. We were kind of of age. I think I was 10. My sister was 12. And um, I'll never forget that Christmas. I forget what I gave mom. I probably gave her some piece of jewelry. It's not, we didn't have a lot of money. It's the thought that counts. Um, but I'll never forget what I gave my dad. I'll never forget what I gave my dad. In fact, I remember vividly my dad opening the gift again. I got him. And upon opening it, he 
he, I, I will never forget the feeling I had. He looked at the gift that I had got him, for him. He was a grown man, and I got him this particular gift. And he goes, oh, son, wow. You know what? Why don't you keep this for me? And if I... Because what I got my 40-plus-year-old dad that year was a starting lineup figurine. Anybody remember starting lineups? Little figurines? I'll tell you a little story. Oh, now, now I'm getting real stirred up. I had original, mint condition, starting lineup, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Dominique Wilkins. About a, two years ago, my sons found this in storage and ripped them all open and started playing with them. Lost all their value. I spanked those boys. Um, you know, like, come on, man, this isn't Oklahoma. You can't say that. But, um, I, <laughs> Sooners, um, I gave my dad a Lawrence Taylor starting lineup. That was a linebacker for the New York Giants. And um, as a 10-year-old, I, I thought I was smooth. I thought I was sly. I thought I was shrewd. You know, I'll give dad what I really want, and then dad will, like, not even realize, but he'll, like, give it to me, and it'll be awesome. But I learned that day, on that Christmas morning, I never wanted to feel that feeling Again, I'll never forget, my dad was known for being gracious and kind and loving, a very strong father, make no mistake about it, but my dad was just a very gracious man. It was who he was. And I'll never forget my, my hero, my dad, six foot two and a half, played quarterback in high school, and I love my dad, I always wanted to please my dad and my dad to be happy with me. I'll never forget on that Christmas morning, I thought that by getting him the Lawrence Taylor starting lineup, that I would be better for it, happier for it, because I truly got it for him, but it was really for me, and I never forgot that feeling. Dad opened up the starting lineup, and in his gracious way, looked at it, and goes, oh, well, <laughs> hey, son, why don't, you, why don't you keep this for me? And I remember this hollow, horrid, horrific feeling of, I have just destroyed the spirit of Christmas. I have trampled on sweet baby Jesus. Like, this is not the idea of giving. And it may sound funny, but at 10 or 11 years old, I swore to my little self, I would never feel that feeling again. I would never be the kind of giver that gave with an agenda, that gave with the idea to get something out of it. I wanted to learn, and I got to watch, I got a front row seat to two of the most generous people in the whole wide world, which is my mom and dad, and to this day, my dad is now in heaven, and my mom is here, and she continues to be one of the single most generous human beings I've ever met. I was privileged and honored to grow up in a home, and I realize not everybody in this room would have that same opportunity, but to watch my mom and dad live a happy, fulfilled life, not by getting, but by giving. Not by giving to gain access or agenda to people's lives, but by giving to give. Giving because you're generous. Giving because you're a giver. Paul, in our letter of study today, he's, he's writing to the Corinthian church. It's a Corinthian church that he's been very involved in, but between the writing of 1 Corinthians, and today we're in 2 Corinthians, uh, there's been a bit of a relational breakdown between Paul and the Corinthian church. In fact, the Corinthian church had other teachers come in, and those teachers told that church in Corinth that Paul was not a good guy. Paul's not a legit pastor. Paul actually just wants your money. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians, and he is restoring his relationship with this church. And I find it very interesting that he only takes 13 chapters, but two of them he dedicates completely to the teaching on money. He wants to reiterate to the Corinthian church that God actually has a plan for their money. And he says a moment ago, we read it in verse 5, he says, look, I'm sending guys ahead. They're preparing because a year ago you said that you would send cash to the city in Jerusalem or to the people in Jerusalem 
because at that time there were many Christians in Jerusalem, but they were being persecuted and scattered. Their homes were being taken. Their businesses were being shut down. People were stealing from them. And so a year before this, the Corinthians had heard about what was happening to the Christians in Jerusalem, and they said, hey, let's collect some cash and let's send it, and they never did it. And so Paul says, hey, I want you to finish what you said you were going to do. He says, but here's the big idea. I'm going to send guys ahead because I don't, by the time I get there, I don't want this to be an exaction, he says. You know what an exaction is? It's something you feel you have to give and you give it with the expectation that it'll either be returned or something good will be done for you. In other words, I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch my back. By the way, that's not generosity. That's called a partnership or a business deal. He says, I'm not looking for a business deal. I'm not, I don't want to show up. And if your delay for a year of giving your money is because you actually don't really want to give it, but if you do give it, you expect these Jerusalem Christians to somehow pay you back and Venmo you. But I don't want it to go like that. I, I want them to prepare because I want this to come out of the generosity of your heart. And then he goes on, he says, well, this is the point. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly, and whoever sows abundantly uh, will reap uh, abundantly. And then he, he says, you know, and, and God loves a cheerful giver. God loves. Now, that's a, that is a big statement. Paul is telling us something that really God, it thrills God. Now I'm going to tell you, God loves everybody in this room. Every single person in this room is of infinite value before God. But what Paul is alluding to here is that there is a special thrill that the eternal God gets when we, as eternal beings made in his likeness, delight in giving. You know why? Because he sees himself. God loves cheerful giving. He takes notice of it. He never misses a dollar that's given away from this, this posture of, man, I delight. I love to give. I'm not talking about Lawrence Taylor starting lineup kind of giving. I'm not like, here's what I got you. Oh, was this really for you? I guess if you say so. No, he loves giving to give. Not giving to get, but giving to give. Why? What I'd like to share with you is three points. Three observations from this uh, incredible passage. In fact, most scholars agree this is the most detailed, prolific, power-packed passage on the subject of money and how Christians should handle their money. This is it. It's the zenith. It's the pinnacle passage. Two entire chapters that Paul dedicates to talk about cash. Cash money. I'm just, I was trying to like get you guys going tonight. But um, I want to remind you that we're going to be the kind of community that talks to what's really happened in our everyday life. Now about this time, if you're new to church home or you're new to this space or you're watching this video and you're thinking, man, I think it's kind of awkward that we're talking about money. Isn't it crazy? The two awkward things in church is money and sex, and they're on our mind a lot. God has a plan for your money, and he has a plan for sex. Should we take a vote? Should we, should we focus on sex tonight? You're like, yeah! You know, like, you can't, like, do that in church. People think you're weird. <laughs> oh, man. I just could see the vote in my mind. Okay, so. <laughs> sex. Oh, you're weird. You're weird. <laughs> but we're going to be the kind of church that talks about stuff that really matters in our everyday life. I want to remind you that money still remains one of the most dominant aspects of our living. And God cares about your everyday life. He has a plan for your money. If you have a lot, if you have a little, or you have something in between, God has a plan for your resources. Now, if you're here and already you're like, you know what, I want to be a cheerful giver. To be a cheerful giver is simple. It means that you delight. You get a thrill. You enjoy giving money away giving things away. I want to be a cheerful giver. Paul goes on, he says, I don't want you to be give begrudgingly. 
I don't want someone twisting your arm. I don't want a sob story to manipulate you into giving so that somehow you feel better when you give. No, I, I want you to be a cheerful giver. If you have any inkling, any even a sliver of desire to be a cheerful giver, I want to give you three points that will help you develop into an actual cheerful giver. Now prepare yourself, because if you begin to develop into a somebody who delights, who gets a thrill out of giving, you're going to have to prepare yourself because you're going to have more friends than you know what to do with. So, you know, there's that scripture, whoever, whoever wants friends must show himself friendly. Another translation, whoever wants friends must give money away. Like, it's, it's like pretty much the same thing. So as you develop into a cheerful giver, you better recognize you, you're going to have a lot of people. Nothing like being around somebody who's generous. Nothing like, I mean, you never know what they're going to give away. You never know they're going to pay the bill. They're going to take care. It's just like, I mean, those, the Bible says the world of the generous gets larger and larger. Everybody wants to be your friend. Everybody wants to be around the generous man or the generous Woman, I want to remind you this idea of cheerful giving is the pathway to more joy and more happiness than maybe you're currently experiencing. As I said last week, Jesus quoted in the book of Acts that you'll be far happier giving than you ever will be getting. I think the reason people are cheerful givers is because the more they give, the happier they get. The more you give, the happier you get. A cheerful Giver. Do you want to be one? Point number one. You want to be a cheerful giver? Point number one. Cheerful givers understand this. God is a cheerful giver. God is a cheerful giver. The reason God loves cheerful givers is because God's a cheerful giver. And you know what he made us in? Uh, his image. You know what he loves? His image. You know what he loves? Himself. You're like, oh, that, that's weird. No, it's not. He's perfect. He's holy. God to not love himself would be unholy. He's, he's perfect. So when God sees himself in you, it thrills him. God is a cheerful giver for the joy set before him. What did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he died for you and for me. God is a cheerful giver. Look at the very last verse of 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. This is how these two chapters on money end. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. It says, thanks God, thank God for his indescribable gift. Before we go anywhere else, I want to say those of you that believe in Jesus or considering believing in Jesus, it is imperative for us to understand our generosity does not stem from ourselves. It does not come from within us. We are not naturally prone to be generous. We are not conjuring up some attitude or perspective or mindset that is only those, the disciplined few and those who really set their mind and speak it over their life. I'm generous, I'm generous, I'm generous, I'm generous, I'm generous. No, that's not the exercise we're promoting. We're talking about generosity is simply responding to a God who has already been so generous with you he thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift that's where it all starts his grace is so amazing right now some of you didn't grow up in church but if you grew up in church like I grew up in church you'd remember testimony night you'd remember open mic night and there are some Christian cliches that actually the reason they became cliches is because they're true. People would get up on open mic and they'd be like, praise the Lord, everybody. And everybody would say, praise the Lord, right? And then they would start into their testimony and there'd be all kind of phrases that people would use in church growing up. Usually this was on Wednesday nights, by the way. We would have testimony night. We'd be like, now church, don't miss midweek. Wednesday night, we're going to have testimony night. We got 16 brothers and sisters going to share their story. Somebody get up, praise the Lord, everybody, hallelujah. Man, you got no idea how good the Lord has been to me. Our time does not even permit for me to tell you if it had not been for the Lord. God knows where I'd be. In fact, I should be, I would be, and I was, but he did it. 
right here. I mean, don't get me started. I take you back to church in the 80s, right? Woo, man, I'm on a journey, church. But boy, I'm not who I used to be, but I'm not yet who I'm going to be. But I thank God that he took me from here, and I'm on my way. And I, though a righteous man fails seven times, he will rise again. You better look at your neighbor and say, rise again. You know, like, <laughs> you don't know what I've been through, right? I mean, this was, this was church, but it, it's, it's, it's like it's, 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 it's true. Every, every person who had a chance to share their testimony, usually vetted by the pastor, you know, well, they would share it. I, I should be dead. I should be out of my mind. I should be broke. I should be broken. I should be alone. I should be isolated. And we would all just say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Somebody would play a song between the testimonies and somebody else would get up. And Boy, I had no idea what I was listening to as a young man. Because what I was listening to was grace displayed in people's lives. It's real. We're in here tonight talking about money. We're in here tonight talking about dollars. But you know, where your perspective on money and dollars start is at what he's done. His grace is so amazing. What's the inexpressible gift? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God wrote that with the help of Tim Tebow. John <laughs> 3.16. God is, he's a giver. He's a giver. I heard people say over the years, you know, I, I don't have enough money to give. I don't make enough money to tithe. I don't have enough money to give. But if the Lord will, wait, 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 you talking about the same Lord who gave himself for you? No, I, it, we, we can give from an overflow and we can also give from lack. But I give not because I want to get, not because I believe in giving and tithing. I believe in Jesus who is a cheerful giver and because he is cheerfully and delighted in giving me my life and my forgiveness and my salvation and secured my eternity, I am going to take these temporary pieces of paper called dollars and I'm going to use them to express my gratitude to God. That's what I'm going to do. You know what's amazing? I found this title for giving, and I've never seen it before. I promise you, I haven't seen this before except the last couple of days. He says this, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7. He says to the Christians, just like you and me, he says, you excel in everything, in, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Let me, let me, let me just... God loves a cheerful giver because he's a cheerful giver. Notice what he says. You, you, you're really good at faith. You guys talk really great. You know a lot about the Bible. You're really earnest. You got a lot of love. But I want you to excel. Please hear this word, excel. I want you to excel. I want you to be excellent. I want you to be far beyond average in what? In this act of grace. Do you know what he's calling an act of grace? Giving dollars. I've never seen it like this before. He says, the giving of your money, he gives it a title. It is an act of what? Grace. What is grace? It is the essence of the good news about Jesus. He's saying that our giving should be an act of response to what God has given to us. Which is also to say, flip side, if we are not free with our finances, do we know what God has done so freely for us? It is an act of of grace. Now I want to say something boldly about church home. We are going to excel in this act of grace. I just want to say that over your life. I believe you're going to excel in this act of grace. In fact, giving your finances is not going to be an act of your will. It's not going to be an act of your uh, uh, logical, mathematical uh, 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 programming. It's going to be an act of gratitude. 
an act of gratefulness, an act of grace. He says, I want you to excel in this. Now, if you look big picture at the whole idea behind 2 Corinthians, the whole letter, almost every single scholar and writer will tell you the whole letter is this, it's an encouragement. It's all about encouragement. And the big idea that Paul's trying to tell these Corinthians who he had relationship with, the relationship broke down, now it's being restored, is he's trying to say, here's the pathway to encouragement. I want to encourage you, and you're going to be encouraged. And in the middle of his letter, he takes two chapters to say, this giving, if you'll give, you'll actually be encouraged. You might be discouraged, but you're going to be encouraged if you act grateful with your finances. A year ago, you said you were going to give. You haven't given. I want you to follow through on that because you're really good at, at singing. You're really good at reading your Bible. You're really good at serving and volunteering. But I want you to also excel in giving your money away. Now, that's just literally what, what, what's being said. You, now, if you, if, if you brought a friend, I want you to know big picture. Every Wednesday night here at the Saban is not about money. Okay? The other nights are about sex. But you're like, man, can I come next week, you know, our Christmas services, you know, sex, sex sells, you know, like, what, come on, it's Christmas Eve. Um, but there is time and place in scripture, and we're in that season of giving, it's the Christmas season, and I want to remind you that it is actually a very powerful spiritual act of worship. I want to challenge you with a big smile on my face. Are you good at talking about Jesus? Are you good at reading your Bible? You're good at serving and volunteering? I believe we're also asked, I want you to also be excellent in giving your finances away. You will be encouraged. Why? Because you're going to look like him. God is a cheerful giver. You know why God delights in giving because he loves us so deeply for God so loved he did what for God so loved he gave and that brings us to the all-important point that what you love you give to what you love you give to what you love you give to can I reverse it for a second if you don't love something that you want to love give to it you'll probably end up loving it you think I'm playing I'm dead serious you're like, I don't, I don't know if I have love for that. Start giving to it. You're going to get real interested, at least, <laughs> in what you are giving to. you got an attitude towards something. you got an attitude towards a people group. you got an attitude towards certain order. You start giving to it, and your treasure, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Now, this is in the Bible. Please don't get mad at me. But look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. Very next verse, after the act of grace, he says, I say this not as a command. By the way, you're not commanded to give. You're invited to give. Look what it says, comma, to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Ouch! Are you picking up on what Paul's laying down? Let me just paint the picture real clear. He says, a year ago, you said you were going to give money to Christians you said you love in Jerusalem. You didn't. So I'd like you to prove that you love them. Paul, we're praying for them. That's great. You're really good at those prayers and the Bible reading, highlighting your Bibles. You're great at church attendance. Um, you said you'd said cash, and you didn't. You need to send it to them so you can prove that you love them. Paul, we're just getting back onto good terms, brother. This is a restoration letter. But this is classic Paul. He's not going to pull punches. He's like, you're really good at a lot of other church stuff. But you said you love these believers in Jerusalem. But you haven't sent the money that you said you would send. Prove your love. And now I'm going to shoot straight with you because I love you. I can tell you what you love if you'll just give me your bank statement. I mean, it's in the Bible. I can tell you. And you'll find out in my bank statement that I have somewhat of an affection for clothes. You can see it in my bank statement. You can judge me or you can pray for me. You know what I mean? But it's there on my statements. Like, I see what you spend your money on. 
you're going to figure out, I like healthy food. It costs more. You can see it on my bank statement. You can tell I love going out to eat. I love it. It's on my bank statement. I love it. Right? You can, you, can, you, can, you can dig deep and find out I love popcorn. I buy it everywhere I go. Right? You'll find out real quick, I love this woman named Chelsea Smith. It's on my bank statement. All over my bank statement. She's all over my bank statement. Why? Because what you love, you give to. And what you give to, you end up loving. Why do we give? Because we love God. And we're so grateful for him. And we're learning to love what he loves. So I love Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus, if you're building communities, I love what you're building. I want to build what you're building. And so I'm going to give dollars to what you're building. And the more money I give to what you're building, the more I fall in love with what you're building. And it is an exhilarating journey. The, the second point, you want to be a cheerful giver, you understand that God is a cheerful giver. And then number two, you understand God is able. Now we've got some old school language. God is able. Well, that's a good statement, isn't it? God is able. Won't he do it? God is able. Let's just put a dot, dot, dot for a second. Let's just kind of sink in. Let that just sink. Let's just soak in God is able. What are you worried about? God is able. What are you losing sleep about? God's able. What are you all anxious about? God is able. What are you so afraid of? God is able. What are you so stressed out? God, oh, God is able. What are you, what are you, what, what, what's that thing that's giving you nightmares? God is able. Yeah, but tomorrow I got, God is able. Yeah, but you, you hadn't seen my bank account. God is able. What is the next phrase after God loves a cheerful giver? What's the next phrase? God is able. That's not an accident. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able. When you start to delight in giving, one of the reasons you delight in giving is because you've actually, maybe it's because of what you've been through and what you've experienced, you have finally come to the all-important conclusion that God is able. I'm not able, but God is able. God is able. He, he's able to take care of me. He's a good father. If you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to those who ask? God is able. They'll call you crazy. God is able. They'll call you one of those just you know, flighty believe. God, 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 God is able. Fires are going on. God, God is able. Travesty. God is able. Tragedy. God is able. Injustice. God is able. God is able. Eventually in this life, it's about all you got left. God is able. I give because I'm not able, but God is able. And I trust that God is going to take care of my needs. In fact, every time I give, I'm letting my brain know and my money know God is able. I need God a lot more than money. God is able. Now look at this verse. This verse is a very awesome verse. It actually reads like a song. It's got like rhythm to it. God is able to make all grace. Scripture went away, but that's okay. God is able. I mean, I got to memorize. I was just waiting so you guys could follow along. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Listen to this. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Ooh, look. God is able, and the word all is four times after God is able. So what is God able at? All. Is there anything God is not able? None. All. Every. God is able. Let me read it again. You can read this verse every single day for the next year until you believe it. God is able to make all grace abound to you, having all sufficiency in all things at all times. You may abound in all good work. All. 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 What's included in all? Oh! Remember those commercials? A-L-L? 
detergent. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, I love you guys so much. God is able to do what? Oh, oh. oh. You know what this verse actually is telling us? Can I just unpack it just for a second? And we're not going to go much longer, okay? God is able to make all grace abound to you. So all grace abound to you means God's going to help you with everything you need. Okay, all grace is kind of a generic way of saying everything you need, God's going to supply. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father lights and there's no variation or shadow. So God, God, God's going to give you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. So, 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 so now that God's going to take care of you, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So now God's going to make all grace abound to you. God's going to take care of everything. You can count on that. Comma, you'll have all sufficiency. That word sufficiency also means contentment. So God's going to take care of everything. So you're going to have all contentment. Contentment means state of satisfaction. So you'll have all contentment in what? All things at all times. Watch this. Comma, so that you may abound in every good work. This verse erupts at the end. You know what it's telling us? There are many of us in this room, and money is a big aspect of our less than abounding life. We get bogged down by the minutiae and details of lack. And we grow in our discontentment. We grow in our consumerism. We're all prone to this, by the way. We've all been there. We can all relate. So please don't feel bad. We are all in this together. All of a sudden, you want more. You need more. Got to have more. And the opposite of a state of satisfaction sets in. It's a state of anxiousness and greed and need and desire and jealousy and envy. And you know what it does? At the end, you don't abound in every good work. You do just what is absolutely necessary to get done. And here's what happens. You become someone who just, I just pay my bills. Huh. Do my job. Huh. Just take care of what I need to take care of. Live for the weekend. And your life becomes a perpetual cycle of just enough. I do just enough to get my job done. Just enough to pay my bills. Just enough to have a couple of friends. Just enough to stay married. Just enough to have a paycheck. Just enough to stay above water. Just to, and my whole life is now I'm treading water. Am I drowning? No. But I'm up. And it comes out in our conversation. Oh, I'm glad I have a job. Wow, God's, God's good. God's big. Yeah. At least I'm going to heaven. Can't get there fast enough. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a subtle attitude of defeatism sets in. <laughs> Do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I have a way, I have a way, a practical way out of that mindset and attitude and mentality. And it actually starts with a posture that says, I'm going to delight, I'm going to enjoy giving it away. And he says, here's what's happened. You start becoming a giver and you start giving. He's talking actually about finances. And he says, now here's what happens. You trigger and you set in motion this process. And God, he starts taking care of all your needs. Now you have a level of contentment, not because you drive a Bentley. Everybody calm down. It might still be your to sell, but at least you got a car or a scooter or a bike with a little motor on it. Okay, whatever. But God takes care of your needs. Now you've covered your bills. You have just more than enough. Might not be a lot more than enough, but more than enough. So all of a sudden, here comes this really supernatural state of contentment in all things at all times. And all of a sudden, do you know what happens to you? You begin to excel in innovation and creativity. This word abound in every good work means literally you do far more than just enough. And all of the sudden, because of your state of satisfaction and contentment, your creativity and innovation begins to excel. And now all of a sudden, ideas. Now all of a sudden, creative, innovative ways, not only to bless people, serve people, help people, start to explode. There are artists and creative people in this room right now. And I'm telling you that some of your creativity will excel even more when you become an open-handed, cheerful giver. That's what the verse is talking about. You can't make it up. You will excel in every good work. 
all of a sudden you will go far beyond than just enough. And now you will have emotional energy, innovation, and creativity. And do you know what? That's where genius ideas come, where businesses are created, services are put in motion, and billions of dollars are produced. And boy, I have faith that we could see billions of dollars so that we could give it away and see more people reached with the message of Jesus. God loves a cheerful giver because he's a cheerful giver. Because he wants you to know he's, he's able. He's able. Come on, Ephesians 3.20. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask, think, or even imagine. He's, he's, he's able. Do we believe God is able? Do we believe God is able even in the area of our finances? And last but not least, if you want to be a cheerful giver, you recognize, well, God's a cheerful giver. I want to respond to his delight in giving so much to me and I actually believe that God is able and lastly I I believe that God gives seed to the sower God gives seed to the sower God gives seed to the sower it says in our passage second Corinthians chapter 9 notice what it says in verse 10 and I'm coming to a close I promise he who supplies what to the what he who supplies seed to the sower he supplies seed to the sower huh and then he will supply and multiply your seed for what more sowing the cheerful giver understands something about God's economy God's economy is transcendent doesn't matter where you are in the world first word second second world third world God's economy works if he can find a farmer that will sow seeds, he'll give you more seed so you can sow more seed. And you will set in motion what my dad used to call the divine economy. And you will learn so much about your generous heavenly father who from the beginning of time has been handing out seed to those who will sow. Seed to those who will sow. I said it a moment ago, but a lot of people will say, now, when the Lord blesses me, I'll start giving. Okay, remember, he has. No, I mean, I mean financially. Yeah, but he's blessed you with himself. Jesus, forgiveness, eternal security. So he has blessed you. Bible says, impossible to please God without faith. Giving is all about the heart. It's all about faith. If you will set into motion seed, Reap, sowing and reaping, I'm telling you, it'll begin a journey and an adventure unlike you've ever experienced in your life to date. Sowing and reaping. He supplies seed to the sower. Notice what it says. He goes on and gets so practical. It says, and he will supply, and then he will multiply. He will supply, and he will multiply. So you'll give it, and then he'll take care of your, your needs, but then it will multiply. You hearing me? It'll multiply. And the reason it multiplies, so that you will give more away. There's this little quote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it says, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. I love these random Bible quotes from the Old Testament. You're like, uh, what? Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. You know what that's about? You ever heard of the word manna? You ever heard of the Red Sea? You've, you've watched Prince of Egypt? <laughs> yeah. Moses, stick, children of Israel, walk through the Red Sea. You know, not long after, on the other side, after watching an ocean open, they started complaining. Who are these people? You know, like... And they're like, we want a good breakfast. We're super hungry, and God's like not hooking us up. So God's like, all right, I got a plan. Everyone's going to walk out of their tent every morning, and there's going to be dew on the ground, and then when, when the dew's gone, there's going to be frosted flakes for everybody. It actually kind of was frosted flakes, to be honest. And it, had, it, was, it was sweet to the taste. 
But God instituted something very interesting, which is so indicative of God. Please, please hear what I'm saying. You'll, you'll, I hope it'll make sense to you. He said this to our ancestors, our ancestors. We're connected to those people by faith. He says, tell everybody when they come out of their tent, only take what they need for the day. Don't take any extra. Hear the quote now. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. God was trying to teach his people early on. Your gathering will not save you. Your God will. So, so your seed is for sowing way more than eating. Your stuff is for giving and blessing, not for just repping and wearing. And if you will learn that, you will learn a lot about me. So you know what happened? People would come outside their tent in the morning, our ancestors, and they'd be like, kids, get as much as you can. Why? Because who knows what tomorrow will bring, unless you know who knows tomorrow. And you know what would happen? If they got too much, it would all breed worms in their tents. And mysteriously, all the frosted flakes would be soggy shredded wheat with worms in it. What was God telling his people? I will supply every step of the day. Every step of the way, every step in your journey. Do not hoard your money thinking it's what will deliver you and save you and keep you safe and content. Do not let your money replace me. Don't let your food replace me. Don't let your stuff replace me. Trust me. I will be your good father and I will take care of you every day. Our goal with our money is to not stockpile it like Scrooge McDuck. We're not swimming in coins. We're going to give them away. And God will give us more and we'll give it away. He'll give us more and we'll give it away. And it will be a demonstration to this city and to other cities, nations, and continents and countries that there is a real God who takes care of his children. And that's what we're going to do. So if you over time, and I know what it's like, tough times happen and our hands go like this, and then they go like this. And by fear, we start to go, no, I don't have enough to give. I don't have enough. And, and without even knowing it, you've become someone who's looking for someone, you want, want to go to eat? You're paying? I'll be there. <laughs> and all of a sudden, and this happens not even intentionally. Pe people don't set up one day like, I'm going to be greedy and selfish and try to get stuff from people. That's what I'm going to do now. But fear sets in, doesn't it, for all of us. We've been there. And you're like, I can't, I can't give anything because I, what if, what if something happens tomorrow? I don't, I don't, I don't know. And God the Father is like, let it go. But if I let it go, I'll have nothing. Oh, I'll have everything. I, I will take care of you. Okay. So, all right, I'm just, I just, I got like just enough frosted flakes for like this evening. That, that's all I got. Yeah. Tomorrow I'll meet you too. Okay. All right. I'm going to trust you. <laughs> One of the fastest ways to get to know God is in the area of your finances because it's so connected to your heart. When you start to being a cheerful giver, I'm telling you, your view of God is going to expand at such a rapid rate. Let's be the kind of community that excels in this act of grace. And when God finds a man or a woman that he can trust finances with, he will flow, he will flow more through you so that you can be a blessing. Will you be a sower? Will you be a sower? or a gatherer, and a hoarder, or will you be a sower? The more you sow, the more seed he'll give you to sow some more. And there will be a harvest, and there will be a return. I know I'm talking in such maybe challenging terms today, and, and uh, maybe it comes across as a little bit like, wow, this is, this is intense, or it's an honor to be invited into this journey of generosity. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being some of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life. But I want to excel at generosity. I, is it okay for me to say, I want Church Home to be known as a place 
where people love Jesus, love each other, and we give ferociously. Do not compliment us for a second because if you compliment it, you're going to get it. Right? If you, 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 you like my hat? There you go. And you keep your shirt on and give it later, okay? But that we're that kind of place. Why? We're open-handed. Has not God been so generous with us? Can we not also be generous with one another? What a privilege and what honor. I look into our future. I look into your future. Can I be so bold? And I see you excelling in this act of grace. I see you plotting and planning ways to be generous to people in your world. Ways to be generous in community. Ways to give finance and resource away. And the Bible says, give and it shall be given. So that what? So that we can give all the more. You'll be far happier giving than you ever will be getting. You believe that, church home? Would you pray with me, Jesus? Thank you so much. It never ceases to amaze me, Lord, that you got plans for us that even include our, our money. Though we have a lot or a little, you have a plan. Lord, I pray against any fear, any condemnation, any worry, any shame in this room. I pray instead that just faith and hope and desire would rise in our hearts to be generous people. We thank you for that, Lord. You're so good. You're so gracious. If you're here tonight, you say, you know, Judah, um, talk about this extraordinarily generous God. I, I'd like to follow Jesus. I'd like to become a Jesus follower. Well, then I'll remind you of that scripture we read a few moments ago. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever would simply believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. If you'd like to receive the forgiveness that, that only Jesus offers, I'm going to invite you to respond here in a moment. In fact, I'm going to ask you on the count of three, you lift up your hand and put it right back down. And the reason I do that is I just believe that when you respond on the outside to what's happening on the inside, it becomes all the more real to you. You know who you are, and I just think God's talking to you right now. You have no idea, and neither do I, how much he truly loves us. On the count of three, if you say, Judah, I want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus and become a follower of him, on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hand. One, two, God loves you so much. Three, if that's you, would you lift up your hand all over the room so, man, I just I receive and I believe. Thank you. So many hands. Thank you. God, thank you so much. You don't stop. You never end loving us. You've given yourself for us, and I thank you that forgiveness flows freely in this room. I thank you for what you're doing in our community. And Lord, as we look into the next 25 years as a church, we're just making a statement that we're going to excel in this act of grace. We're going to excel in our giving. Even now, Lord, I'm asking for ideas. I'm asking that you would drop into people's hearts and minds ideas of how to be even more generous with their finances. We thank you so much for your grace and your love for us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you're physically able and willing, would you stand with us and join the band as they lead us in some songs about our great God? Come on, church.